At this year's Cannes Film Festival, 48 films were presented from around the world. They were made by the most renowned directors and featured the biggest name stars in entertainment. But look what happened. A film called Jeremy, directed by an unknown and starring two actors no one has ever heard of, not only won a major award, but in fact was voted the most popular film of the entire festival by the general public. I have a Jeremy, a film with nothing going for it, but the people who love it. All right. Hey, thanks, everyone. It is, uh, we're recording Thanksgiving Eve for a uh, Black Friday release edition of 70 movies we saw in the 70s. I am Mike McPadden. I'm the author of Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. I'm in Chicago, in Wisconsin. My co-host. Uh, my name is Ben Reiser. Uh, and yes, this episode will be available uh, on Black Friday at the special Black Friday price of free. Um, also, <laughs> no, no refunds too no refunds on no refunds also on sale friday are tickets for the 2021 wisconsin film festival of which i am the current director of operations and i don't know what i don't know what the f will be showing or if it will all be online or whether by may when we're going to have this uh festival we'll be able to gather at least outside maybe to show some movies at night we'll see Anyway, buy your buy your passes now, and then trust us. We'll 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 show you something for your money. And our our guest uh, tonight is uh, the kingpin of the instantly <laughs> legendary Blu-ray imprint, Fun City Editions. Uh, so far, Fun City Editions has released incredible uh, packages of Alphabet City and. I start counting, and we're here tonight to celebrate the third Fun City Edition release of Jeremy from 1973, and I'm not sure exactly where he is, so I'll let him tell us that. Welcome, Jonathan Hertzberg. Thank you for that introduction. Um, I am talking to you guys now, unfortunately not from what my background looks like here, no northern lights. I'm, I'm in uh, West Orange, New Jersey. In my oh, mom's, well. in, uh, yeah, in, in mom's basement. So, uh, Jonathan, thank you so much, and congratulations. We're excited. Uh, tell us about this release of Jeremy. Yeah, well, uh, thank you guys for having me on again. I had such a great time on your other podcast, or one of your other podcasts, uh, talking about Alphabet City. Jeremy is actually more of a true fun city movie, because it was actually made in New York in, I think, what is more the proper fun city era. And it is one of the things I've always loved about Jeremy is that it's it was made in in the city and made, you know, on location, but it's sort of atypical in that it's a it's a T 
teen romance and it's not a, you know it's not a dark crime drama or a cop movie so it's been a it's it's a movie that i've always loved and uh, very excited to be bringing it out to you know to a wider audience now and this Hopefully. is going to also be through vinegar syndrome right will be distributed by vinegar syndrome and it's actually um announced it's going to be officially announced and detailed um on black friday when when people right. are going to be listening to this Right. And we should say, I mean, so so they have been every year. Vinegar Syndrome has become another legendary uh, uh, monolith in this world of movie fandom. And this year's their Black Friday editions include uh, incredible box set collector's edition of uh, the original Beastmaster and Fade yeah. to Black. Yeah. And they've teased a couple of other things. I'm excited because I think uh, Silent Madness is there. They're teasing a, their first ever 3D release and saying it's a slasher movie. So right, I, yeah, I've heard. I've, I, I'm not privy to all of the right, the, right. the the the, ins, the inside dope there, but I think you're right. I think you're onto something. And Jeremy, I've kind of been teasing it a little bit on my own, uh, you know, social media platforms and channels. So. Um, so it's out there, but the details have not been revealed yet. Right. Well, uh, let's talk about the any. Are there any bonus features on this? <laughs> it's funny you should ask. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, part of why I think I, I think you know I don't have to tell your audience this, but it's a collector's market, so um, you can't just put the movie out and and not have and have it be naked. You know, it's, you have to be accompanied by extra features to make it. Make it stand out, make it collectible. So yeah, I'm I'm excited, really excited about this audio commentary. I don't um, that we I put together uh, with uh, with um, uh, Kat Ellinger and and uh, this guy. Good. Yeah, she's she's pretty good. The other guy, you know, he kind of was yeah. part of the came. He's yeah. part of the package. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, just riding those cat coattails. Yeah, uh, Mike McPadden does the other half of that yeah. uh, commentary. And, what? And, I didn't even know that. Holy you mackerel! Know that? You didn't? No. And, wow. And, News. And and yeah, and Mike, Mike, you're essential on there because because you were there. You know, like um, yeah, I bring the accent. Yeah, you bring the accent, and and you bring those details about like, you know, there's like a little anecdote you tell about. I don't know where you were. You, your parents getting you up to go to school, and it, it was. It was. Um, I don't know. It was just. Well, you know, people will hear it. It's just fun. Yeah, you got to listen to it because yeah, I can't. It's remember. very. Yeah. It's very Brooklyn, though. You know, which I like because right. because you know because part of this movie is in Brooklyn, so right. Uh, it's not just Manhattan. Um, I got to tell you. I'm disappointed because I was hoping it was going to be a Len Barry um, commentary track. That's my dude, <laughs> Lenny. You... Lenny Barry, yeah, he's he's kind. I mean, I guess you, I guess he's popped up a little bit on on. I've, I, I think there's some trace of him online, but his career kind of just uh, he's he's really good in this movie. He's I fantastic. He, I, I don't know yeah. why he didn't do more. But anyway, I, I'm getting off track because there are other extra features. So we have this great commentary Please. with, with <laughs> I'm, I'm here uh, to take you off. track. Uh, this, uh, what I'm really excited about is we have interviews with Glynis O'Connor and Robbie Benson. And yes, uh, that's fantastic. That's, and, that's, and, huge. And that's really that was kind of like the whole you know, my dream uh, release for this was was to involve them, and uh, they're just they just couldn't be they just couldn't be lovelier. Their memories of the film, you know, everything is great. There, I mean, they this film is so important for them, and and it still holds like such a you know such a 
important place in their hearts. And it comes through in all of the, you know, discussions that we had and the, and the featurette we put together. I, it's one of the best, it's the best one that I've ever, you know, been involved in. And I think people will be really excited to see see the movie and then see them now. I mean, I, I always, that's something I'm, I've, I mean, long before these, we did these extra features, you'd watch the movie and I'd say, what happened to this person or that person? Like, well, I wonder yeah. what they're doing now, you know? That's so cool. They were a couple for, you know, uh, for a few years, several years after, they, they, they worked together again on Ode to Billy Joe and on a TV production of Our Town. So they were, you know, they were professionally involved and, you know, and personally involved. Um, we have a, a really good video essay uh, by Chris O'Neill, who's an Irish filmmaker and cinephile, and he did uh, he did a video essay for I Start Counting and for uh, Alphabet City as well. So he's sort of like become a, a, like an official like Fun City edition. He's in the cabinet partner. of the mayor of Fun City, which is you. So, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then he's one of your top appointees. Um, so that's so he's doing that, and then we have um, we have a, another booklet, and we have a, a, a booklet essay by Bill Ackerman, who's got the great supporting oh, characters I love podcast. Yeah. And Bill, Bill, I mean, he goes off on his own, and he interviews Danny Perry, and he and he, and he interviews Paul Goldsmith, cinematographer of Jeremy. I didn't even talk to that guy. So holy moly! So Bill went all out on this. Um, Bill is the best, and, and I'm sorry that I have not had him on any of these podcasts yet. And that is something Let's to be corrected it. next year. Rectify, he's, he's, I say. Yeah, no, he's really good. and he, I he, love him. He yeah. had me on his podcast, like, right after you guys had me on. I, I right. went on a little right, run. Right. I went on a little run. Yeah, we had a great... Yeah. We, we talked for... I mean, it's crazy. He just... Yeah. He picks stuff. If, you, if, you, if he has you on his show, he reminds you of things about you that you forgot or you didn't that know. is the freakiest thing yeah like he's like he's like reading like like reviews i wrote in my high school newspaper and stuff. yeah he's like, what are no. you doing he'll find yeah, it he'll find right. it because he's got like yeah. a he's got a newspapers.com account i know he uses that <laughs> um he told me that i didn't even know what that was until he told me um and then we've got another really cool thing is we have a trailers from hell trailer uh with larry karazuski which uh, hasn't hasn't even hasn't even premiered yet and larry is a champion of all we you know this type of film he he's he's big into the coming of age films from from this era uh, you know I, he's the one who hit, he tipped me off to um a couple of movies um uh from the same from the same era through the through his trailers from hell one was uh the one that i'm thinking of in particular is to find a man which stars glennis's brother darren o'connor um, which is another movie we we could we could talk about. That's one I'd I love. I don't know it at all. That I gotta look up. It's even more. I, I would say you know, maybe even lesser known than Jeremy at this point because it's right. never it was never released on video officially. Um, hmm. But it is streaming. Like nowadays, it's weird. You know, some movies that totally bypassed the right. whole home video era. Now you can see them on, right. you know, iTunes or Amazon or any other, whatever your your, your preferred streaming right. service is, which is weird. Because it's like, it hasn't really had a release, though. But if you need to see it, you, you can see it that way. That's great. Have, have you, are yeah. you familiar with that, Ben? I don't even know the name of it. I know the name of it. I feel yeah. like maybe we bumped into it in a, what else was playing that day or oh, something. I bet yeah. you did. Yeah. yeah. It came out in 1972. 
and it's the yeah. only it's the only movie that Darren uh, starred in. He became you know he he didn't keep he he didn't continue acting like like Glynis did. Um, so yeah, so there's the tra- and then there's a there's going to be a regular trailer. There's an image gallery. Um, I I think that's about everything. And then there's new artwork too, you know. And if you order the movie right. from Vinegar Syndrome, you get the slip cover, which has really cool artwork on on both sides, and it's artwork by Jess Rotter who, I don't know if you're familiar with Rotter and Friends, that's her, she oh, does. Yeah. sure, sure, yeah. She, 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 she does like, yeah. usually like, kind of like rock 70s people, like she'll do like Gene Clark or Harry Nilsson or, or Christine McVie, you know, like she, she, she has a style which is very 70s. And usually, right. like I said, she usually does rock star people. Um, but uh, but I just thought she'd be perfect for Jeremy because it's kind of got, because I think of Jeremy in some ways as being kind of like proto- there's a little. I think. I think Wes. I think some of this movie is in the DNA of Wes Anderson. I kind of think it's a little bit of a little proto Wes Anderson. So it's kind of. She gives it a kind of a whimsical feel with her artwork, and so people I have will be not s- seen that image yet. I'm looking forward to it. People will I, be yeah. seeing. Yeah, they'll be seeing that today. That's oh, right. Oh, yeah. that's right. Right when this comes out. <laughs> Black what are the what, yeah. what's what's what is the print? What are, what were the film elements? What, uh, you oh. know, what talk about that? Yes. Great question. Yes, yes. So Jeremy was shot on 16 millimeter. A lot of handheld. Oh wow! 16. It looks like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty uh, street level, which is another thing that's interesting. You know, because usually those were, you know, that was the domain of documentaries, uh, and you or you think of it for like grittier kind of like I said, kind of like crime movies, and this is like this nice you know, little kind of slice of life teen romance, but it was shot very down and dirty, low budget, um, 16 millimeter. And we worked from a 35 millimeter CRI, um, which was the element that MGM had. I don't know where the negative is. It's probably, it, it may be with the original, the producers, perhaps, I don't know. Um, because this was a pickup for United Artists. Mm. And, um, so it looks, it looks so much better than the DVD or the VHS that's come out before. I, I feel confident saying that this is probably, it's definitely as good as this movie has looked since 1973 when it came out. We also, um, I felt the 185, we felt the 185 framing was a little tight. Uh, yeah. So we opened it up a little. It's more oh, that's like great. Because I was going to, I was going to ask that because the, the, the copy that we got to watch in advance for this podcast, I, I thought like, Hey, this, this feels like maybe there's more to the image on the edges that we're missing in this thing. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's a little, it was a little, I, I felt that was a little harsh. That happens a lot with movies that were shot on 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you see more, like it looked kind of sloppy before. Cause there's a lot of close-ups of like books on bookshelves and things like that. Yeah. And in the one eight five version it's like man that doesn't look right i don't think they meant for that thing to be cut off so you know jaggedly like that and now it's just gets more breathing room it's that's great you know, and and, the, and also the colors i mean the colors pop a lot more now as you'd expect and the detail obviously is you know so much better than what it was yeah so, it doesn't feel yeah, a, like there's a ton of handheld stuff but there's definitely those two sequences one where where uh jeremy's running 
to to pretend that he's accidentally bumped into her where it's yeah. like the camera's chasing yeah, yeah, down yeah. the street and then there's that insane right. sequence later on of Robbie Benson at night doing the craziest shit I've ever seen anyone do on the streets in New York where he's like jumping yeah. from car to car and and all this <laughs> right, stuff right. <laughs> yeah yeah well there's but also like in the love scene that was like all mm. handheld too you know mm-hmm. I th- yeah but you're right it's 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 yeah, it's, I, it's a mix. Um, I think Paul and Paul Goldsmith. If you look at his credits, he he had a lot of documentary. Uh, he had a lot of documentary background, and then he's also on things like, I want to say like he's a camera operator on Rust Never Sleeps, and there's some other. I think Ronaldo and Clara. So he's got some wow. music. He he's got some Dylan. There's a Dylan connection there. Uh, I I did not. I don't remember it now, and I didn't. I should have. I should have done a little research before I got back on here, but. Not at all, dude. No, you, you've come loaded fully. No, I love the the handheld stuff. Seems to come out of nowhere, and that's yeah. Often when someone is mixing approaches like that, when it works, it's just the best. And and I would say that's a great example of it really working is in Jeremy. Yeah. Well, and Glynis, suddenly the movie is is in your heart as you're watching it, and then it's alive in a new way. Yeah. Well, it's totally, and all those people were just regular people. On there was no there was no background extras, but you know, right. those were all just regular people. Which is a very fun city thing. Yeah. yeah totally. Totally. So. So we should just talk for a moment about Fun City. So, this is yeah. of course a reference to New York of the early '70s under. Uh, handsome and charismatic liberal Republican mayor John Lindsay, <laughs> who uh, you actually corrected me. You finally cleared it up for me during a transit strike. He was riding his bicycle. Yeah, yeah. And so we said, "What do you think about the? What you, what's up with New York?" He said, "I still think it's a fun city." Yeah, yeah. And uh, that became the totally ironic, innocent, innocent uh, comment. Yes, and it was turned against him with barbs and. Poison Intent and Fun City became the nickname of New York during the most insanely crime-ridden period but it see, had ever experienced. But see, now we've kind of now it's come full circle because it yes, it's still an ironic name for this downtrodden, you know, bankrupt New York. But now we look at we we look back at that through some kind of rose-colored glasses because sure. you know, for, especially those of us who weren't really there yeah. for it. Um, so now it's sort of like, well, it, it is a fun, it, it did look like a fun city, yeah, you know, I mean. It was, when, it when was a watch, fun city, getting mugged all the time, not fun. Because in this movie, you don't see any of that. It does look no. like, it, it's pretty innocent, you know. Um, it's, they're, they're, you know, on the Upper West Side, they're going through Central Park. Right. I mean, Jeremy's walking around at night, like you said, jumping on, you know, he's jumping on the cars. There's never a threat of any violence, though, towards right. him. Well, that's a one. Well, first, I, two things. The first thing I was going to say is that uh, now it can be revealed, it might as well be, that this, that Fun City was actually an early contender to be the title of this podcast series. Right. And <laughs> at some point, Mike was like, oh, fuck, Hertzberg's got it for his label now. We can't use it. <laughs> um, well, but, but I'm glad it, you did. I'm glad because it's perfect for what you're doing. Too. Well, you so. know, it's funny because I had this name like f- four years ago. It just took me this long to finally have something come out and, and p- other people for it to be public facing. Um, but there is a podcast, you know, oh. there is a f- Oh, I didn't know. So no, you no. still could have done it. There's probably another know. 70 movies we saw in the 70s podcast. Yeah, too. right. But I, I think this There's is probably a, 70 more. I think this. Uh, no, I think I think I think you guys struck gold with what you got here. I'm. Uh, 
Well, no, the, just the other thing I was going to say that the thing, one of the things I think I love the most about this movie, and this is related to you talking about that there isn't really the threat of violence and there isn't all that much grit or grime in this movie. I love, and I was just bathing in this, uh, of how low stakes this movie is. It it's so beautiful that there is no there is no you know the, I mean of course on one level it is this tragedy of young love and and these you know these these kids who think yeah. they've found their soulmates and then get separated but they're not separated by death or or some sort of accident and it's and it took it takes you a while and I don't know if I ever fully sort of was able to relax I hadn't seen this in a long long time and I couldn't even remember uh, some of what the plot just were to to, to to, to, to settle into the fact that Robbie Benson wasn't going to get beat up. She wasn't going to get pregnant mm-hmm. and have to, you know, deal with that. And <laughs> one of them wasn't going to come down with leukemia at the last second. And it, I, I love that fact because it's, it's a captivating love story, but it doesn't, it doesn't follow the path of like love story uh, or anything else where there's like some, you know, some death or some other like real, you know, tragedy that you, you know, and you, so this movie ends on sort of a sad note, but it's, but it's, but it's, it's beautifully small. I, I love how small this movie is. I would, I agree with you completely. And watching that, you know, you're feeling for these kids, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> because I'm an adult and I've been through it, right. you know? Right, yeah. right. And I'm glad that, you know, and and it's it's a pleasure to be a part of this experience. And I feel the hurt that they're feeling because I have felt it in the past, but mm-hmm. they're fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll be all right. No, you know, so- in, in a month, like, their lives are going to be so totally different because that's how your life is when you're that age. Although I want to say this. I had this, I, I got scared a few times because for some reason, Robbie Benson in this movie from time to time reminds me of um, Mo Green in The Godfather, Alex Rocco. And I, and I kept thinking, geez, oh, yeah. I, geez, I hope he doesn't get shot through the glasses at some yeah. point in this movie. Get it right so, in the right. eye. Right, yeah. right. Because he, well, he, is it, is it the, what is it? Is it the, is it the voice at times? What is it that? I think, it, well, it might be the voice, but I think it's, I think it's when he's wearing those glasses and that, and that head of hair yeah. for some reason it reminds me of a young mo green yeah sure oh maybe yeah, the way he I walks there's I some sort it. of shuffling quality i don't know it just right. hit me that's funny but i i would say yeah it's low it, you're right it's it as an adult looking back on it the way you just described it it is low stakes but i mean for kids watching this movie like when it came out um because it was a movie that was made for young people uh, yep. I, I have to imagine that that it, it didn't feel such so low stakes because it feels so uh, so real and so everything about it is really identifiable and um, I don't know I still get choked up watching the sure. you know the, the parting and you know just sort yeah. of everything leading up to that. Um, but yeah, I, I can't wait to get the Blu-ray. I really want to share it with my college age daughter and my high school age son. I think that they will like this in a way that they don't normally like the movies that make them sit through. So yeah. <laughs> it's definitely one of those movies I've thought about. I've thought about like, gosh, this is a perfect this is like a perfect example to me of what I love about 70s movie in the most general sense. What what I think draws together so many of these films for me and i may have said this on the other podcast and i apologize if i did but it's that it's the way that they're sort of simultaneously gritty and unsentimental and yet earnest and unironic 
And um, this movie perfect, for me is a perfect example of that. And it makes me wonder about like, well, what, God, gosh, like how would this, like how would this play for most young people today? Like who, like for the, for like the people that it was made for then, like people that age now, I, I, I would be really curious to hear what your, what your kids think then when you show it yeah. to them. You know, and, I mean, and I, Roger, I feel like they need some, they need some prepping, you know? Yes, they do. Like, I mean, uh, yeah. you have probably seen, you've shown that they've, you know, your kids, I'm sure have seen so much stuff that they, nor, that, that a lot of other kids their age haven't seen from, from this, from this era or earlier they 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 did up until a point and then they got so annoyed with me showing the movies all the time that now they basically refuse to let me show them anything so i i screwed that up <laughs> at some point um but i was gonna oh, say no. that as it should be that i was looking at the roger greenspun review in the new york times from 1973 this movie and it's a it's a fairly positive review it's a very positive review but he does talk about uh all the cliches in this movie and i thought that's wrong i feel like this movie avoids 95% of the cliches that that most other movies that yeah. try to tell this story like wallow in. You know, well, I agree. Here's, yeah. Well, here's yeah, here's what's funny. This movie actually had like two New York Times reviews. I don't know if you noticed that. Like there was the Greenspun, but then there was a review uh, by Rosalind Drexler. Um, where she calls Jeremy like the big little movie and I'm going to go, I saw it and I'm going to bring, see it again with my family. And like, it's like a positive review. So I don't know if that was considered a, just a, like a, like a column or something, but it is sort of like another review of the film. And I, and, and what I noticed when I was looking through, um, all these, like, I, I, I should say that, uh, the producer of this film, Elliot Kastner, uh, who you guys have probably talked about on this show before? Um, huge, huge resume. Sure. Like, I mean, so, and uh, I mean, the '70s is really like his most fertile period. And um, the same year, for instance, that he pr he produced Jeremy, or you know, he's the presenter of it. Um, I don't know how much he was on set, but he he also Long Goodbye is the same year. That's also Elliot Caster right. production, right? Um, so. Elliot's son, uh, I got in touch with him online, and he shared with me his his like whole archives for uh, for Jeremy, which was so nice. Every like photocopies of letters, correspondence. Mike, you you saw some of the I stuff saw for it. the it commentary. Was, it was such a gift to, that you shared it with it's me. It was... yeah, he shared it with me. It was just yeah. so. I I mean, it was like amazing because it was um, like correspondence, you know, from like invites that. You know, Elliot Castner was like sending to like the Queen to go see the Queen of England to see right. Jeremy. You know? Invited um, the Queen. Yeah, who regretfully like, couldn't make it. Yeah. yeah, there's like a there's a letter from someone, and I can't remember who it is, but it's like probably like an agent or something like that. And he's like, yeah, uh, you know, he's like L, you know, because it's they're very informal. It's not Elliot or, you know, it's L. He's like, uh, I just want to let you know. I saw Jeremy. Uh, I took. I took. I picked up Myrna Loy from. I don't know, <laughs> the Sherry Netherland or something. And you know, we went to go see a. You know, see Jeremy. And you know, it was like, and it was just like, you know, he was just saying like it was a compliments about how fine the movie was. Um, but the reviews, um, it was a mix. There were people that were totally jaded and like were like Greenspun. Uh, calling it, you know, really syrupy and cliched or whatever. And then there's other people that were totally in. It was kind of like you were either totally all in or you thought it was 
totally fluff and hokum. Well, even Greenspun, Greenspun says, but in the long run, Jeremy is less committed to its cliches than to its kids. So, I mean, he, he liked it. He, he, he definitely, I mean, oh, I think he, he was, I think he was fighting with himself, but he ultimately, this is, a, yeah. I think, a, a, a fairly positive review. Because there were definitely other reviews that were meaner. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I've blocked them out. I, I'm not going to quote them here, but yeah, there were definitely reviews where I'm like, gosh, you wrote, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed today, or you're just <laughs> an unhappy, just an unhappy person, you know, because I, I don't know. But, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see what happens when we put this Blu-ray out, what kind of response. I'm really yeah. curious to see, because so far I've been really lucky with Alphabet City and I Start Counting, the, mostly the response has been so kind. So this is a little bit different. This is like more of an outlier. It's not really a genre yeah. piece. Well, I don't think that we actually have talked a lot about Elliot Kastner on this show, and I'm hoping that you have his uh, filmography to pull up and talk about later on, Mike, because he he did produce such a string. All his films are so, in their own ways, off kilter, and it's it's such a it's a it's a it's a really long list of films, and they're all sort of like, oh, that's a weird film, and that's an interesting film, and mm-hmm. you know, not a lot yeah. of big mm-hmm. hits or anything, but it's just, and and every single one of the titles that I have seen, I'm like, oh, that's yeah, that's a that's a unique. Oh my god, thing. you're not kidding. All right, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, uh, we should do a quick synopsis of the movie. All right, and uh, <laughs> I didn't write one up because it's. Um, it's so simple in its way. I didn't want to give away too many details, but basically it's about uh, Jeremy, who is a 15-year-old boy on the uh, Upper West. Where? They, they're right on Central Park. It's the Upper West Side. Well, they never really, you know, they're uptown, yeah. but yeah. She, she's definitely on the Upper East Side. because she, She's on the East yeah, Side. Yeah, on Park Avenue. There's a, there's a, there's a really yeah, like Park a, long, right. a lengthy long shot of Park yeah. Avenue. Right. But I was yeah. wondering, yeah. the thing right. that, the place that I couldn't figure out where it was is uh, uh, Jeremy and his music teacher are walking along this boardwalk after coming out of, I think, the what, music what? teacher's... Uh, Brighton Beach. Right. They're, they're coming out of an apartment building that's called Beach. the Miramar. Is that Brighton Beach? That's Brooklyn. So he goes out to Brooklyn. That was Brighton Beach, yeah. Yeah, it's a long subway ride. Yeah. I tried to look up this Miramar apartment building because you can clearly see that the name of the building is the Miramar, and I yeah. couldn't really find wow. a, uh, anything. But I did I find I did find a restaurant that's still in New York City called Miramar, and it is it's located on the Battery Park Esplanade. And I thought, oh, maybe there used to be a building there, and we're looking out at the water by Battery Park. But if you say that that's Brighton Beach, okay. That's fine too. No, yes. Yeah. No, I noticed that too, and I also tried to look up that building. Well, I never um, noticed for the that. commentary. Yeah, because I think on the commentary we I, I mentioned to Cat. I'm like, I love old buildings in Brooklyn that have names like that. Yeah, mm, mm. and and many of them do. Uh, so Jeremy goes to a school for the performing arts, similar to what we would see, in, you know, later in the decade in Fame, or early next decade, uh, where he sees Susan, who is he's a cellist. And we see he sees Susan, they uh, which is Glynis, played by Glynis O'Connor, and they uh, embark on a relationship. And the movie is just the story of their relationship. Jeremy has an uncanny knack for picking horses, which to me is one of my favorite details of the movie, because that's a real like that's a re- that's like a real life touch. That's an odd quality that a real person would have. And apparently, Robbie, Robbie Benson had that real quality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so him. he was able to work that into the movie, and because Susan, Susan, her mother has died, she lives with her father, 
and they're from Detroit. And by the end of the movie, the father's work is done in New York, and they're going back to uh, Detroit. So they have this relationship. They have um, had sex with each other for the first time. This is the first full-blown adult feelings each has had for another person, and they have to part because Susan's got to move away. And that's really what the movie is, without giving away all the details. All right, can we roll back to like uh, the beginning and work our way slowly through some of these sure. pieces? Yeah. Of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the movie starts Please. with Robbie Benson singing uh, "Blue Balloon," aka mm-hmm. the what is it? What is this? What is the no? It's the, uh, the, hour, the hourglass, hourglass song. right? Yeah. Which, which, yeah. okay. So my 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 favorite sort of internal rhyme in this song, and I don't really understand what it means. But but the, tell me what the line he's got the I've got the New York Times and fourteen dimes. What is that? What are the fourteen dimes? What's the significance of fourteen dimes back in nineteen seventy? I think he says, and then he's got explanations for the most profound nursery rhymes. Uh huh. Yes, the next line. That's true. Well, that he, was just, he was just dropping. He was just dropping rhymes. I think. <laughs> Wait, what's the, what, what was, what was your question? Dimes. It's a, the fourteen dimes. He says New York oh, Times and fourteen 40? dimes. Yeah, what's up with the? Well, yeah, what's up with the buck forty? It's just a rhyme, um, right? It's just. A I rhyme. think it's just a rhyme. Yeah. You know. Now um, it was written by Joe Brooks, who I don't want to get too sure. heavily into because yeah. that's a that's yeah, a podcast not? all on its own. Huh? Well, it is. It is. Yeah. Well, well, we should we should say that this movie has a complicated authorship. And, right. um, we have to talk about Joe Brooks. And, yeah. and Joe Brooks was the original. He was really, apparently, from all the interviews I've done, it was really his idea. The story was supposed to be kind of based on his remembrances of being a teenager in New York in like the 50s. And I think perhaps he was at the School for the Performing Arts or something similar to that. But then Robbie was when Robbie was brought in and Robbie and Robbie had been singing jingles before he had been because because Joe Brooks was a very successful um, wrote commercial jingles. He wrote the and, Maxwell House uh, jingle. The best part of waking up. That's Folgers. Uh, good to the last drop. Sorry. He wrote good to the last drop Maxwell House. Yeah. So, yeah. So he and and lots of other ones. So he right. wanted I just to, I was just pulling out a famous one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And well, um, you don't you light up my life and um, that. Uh, but, that's, an, that's, but that was yeah, later. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. But so Rob Robbie was Robbie was, um, you know, a, uh, he had been on, you know, he was a theater kid and he was a music. He was like a, you know, song and song and dance kid. So he would sang some of these jingles. So that's how he knew. That's how him and Joe Brooks had a relationship. And so Robbie was, Robbie kind of wrote the screenplay or helped write the screenplay with with Brooks. Although neither of them end up getting any credit uh, at the end of at the when everything was all said and done. But Robbie, a lot of the he said when we interviewed him, he said like I I was with Joe and he was at the typewriter and he said, well, what would Jeremy say now? And then uh, fourteen times. Well, I think it's. Yeah, I think he'd say. Well, no, I think I think that's all Joe Brooks. I think the song is all Joe. But oh, okay. he would say, "Well, I think he'd say this," and then he'd say, "Oh, then he'd start typing at the typewriter." Then, well, then what, what would happen next, or what would the girl say? And then he'd say, "Well, I think she'd do this, so we, this could happen." So he says, "At the end of the thing, I see the screenplay, and my name's not on it." And he's like, "But what's up with that? I was, you know, at least partially writing that." But he said that's where he learned. That's where Robbie learned that he could that he he had some writing talent. And so anyway, so Joe Brooks was directing the movie and at some point um 
he was there was disagreements with the producers or something so he 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 was he was taken off i'm not totally sure of 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 what happened there but Did, he ends up only having credit for that song i just want to ask this one question because this is the most interesting part of what i'm reading on wikipedia about the production which is that there's some somebody says uh, that Kastner replaced Brooks with Barron after Brooks fired Robbie Benson and then went over budget. Have you heard that from any of the principals? Did Robbie Benson get fired from this movie at some point? Uh, oh, Ro- Robbie did. Yeah, he, yeah, that, yeah, he did say that. I don't, and yeah, and again, I don't know all. I don't know all the details or the or the whole timeline or all the. You know, it's a lot of. He said, he said, but, um, but Arthur Barron was like a Columbia university film professor and he was documentary filmmaker. So I think that he was in, he was there the whole time to sort of help with Joe Brooks had not made a film before. So it was kind of like they were maybe co-directing or, Mm. or Joe was working more with the actors and, and Arthur was, it was more handling the technical stuff. I'm not totally sure, but at some point Joe Brooks left and he just has credit for the song now. And Arthur Barron has like full writer and director credit. Um, but it's obviously more complicated than that. Yeah. I love the idea that somebody at some point thought, let's fire Robbie Benson. Like he's the problem with this movie or something. That just seems insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm not totally, I'll have to ask Robbie about that. Um, I'm not sure if we covered that in any of the interviews, but I definitely saw that. So probably saw it on the Wikipedia. Yeah. We should talk a little bit more about Joe Brooks in general. Um, so he uh, is probably his best known work was the what was the film project "You Light Up My Life" from 1977 with Didi Khan, which I believe you have a personal connection to, Mr. Riser. Well, I went to school to elementary school with Didi Khan's uh, younger brother, Richard uh, Bernstein. And um, so I was totally into the idea of Didi Khan from a very young age. But I actually was absent from school the day that Richard brought Didi in for show and tell. (laughs) I missed. That's so sad. I missed meeting. But 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 more than the movie, which I don't think anyone ever gave a shit about, and was I don't think was any. Well, this is the thing. The movie was a hit, but the song was from the movie. It was for the movie. Yeah. And the song and, was And so huge. one generated another. The song, You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone, was one of the biggest hits of the 70s. It's also like one of the most despised songs. And even at the time, it was relentlessly made fun of and belittled and parodied. And it's one of those songs, like having heard it, I mean, a long time ago at this point, because I love any like 70s bubblegum, any kind of... Like cheesy seventies music, it is a dreadful thing. That song. Oh, it I disagree. Ghastly song. I'm gonna Dave Mason you, did, did, motherfucker. Really? Yeah, I love wow. that. So I wow. would say here's what I want to say about Joe Brooks. He's probably one of the creepiest yeah. creepers uh, that ever lived. And if you yeah. and if you yeah. look him up and check out the pictures of him in his like final years, I mean, this guy was a ghoul oh, beyond yeah, yeah. all ghouls. But I also yeah. want to give yeah, him. Yeah. I feel like credit where credit is due. Nobody wrote a schmaltz ballad like Joe Brooks. Did this fucking thing, uh, the Blue Balloon song, which which is a you know yeah. I mean it's 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 right up there with the Paul Williams stuff and the Carpenters between that and oh, yeah. the um, oh, yeah. and you light up my life and if ever I should see you again the, the Roberta Flack song that's another if ever fantastic I see you again. if ever I see yeah. you again yeah is that the f- 
Was that the follow-up movie that he was in? That was the movie that yeah. he started. Right. So he, he wrote, <laughs> with, so he with, wrote directed, which, produced the first one, You Light Up My yeah. Life, and then said... Hertzberg, you need to get that out on Fun City. We need a Blu-ray release of that movie. <laughs> the, the, which one? You Light Up My Life or the If no, I Should the, Ever the, See You the, Again? If, ever, if I Ever See You Again. That's what I want to see. I've never seen it. I need to see that. Uh, me, me, I have not either. But the lobby, uh, we've seen some. I've seen some stills, the lobby cards. Right. It's him, Shelley <laughs> Hack is the is the romantic yeah. lead, and it's it's it is it is pretty ridiculous looking because Joe Brooks has those glasses, and yeah. uh, you know, never in a million years, except he had his Academy Award. You know, oh, he, did, yeah. You, yeah. he did get that Academy Award for "You Light Up My and, Life." And, and then, Debbie Boone, as you if you recall, she performed "You Light Up My Life" with. Uh, deaf children who were doing sign language but it turned out they weren't deaf and some of them didn't know sign language which is kind of like faking it well, wow. i'm really surprised because i really uh, and again i mean carpenters paul, paul williams that shit that's my favorite music yeah. among and i i just think that song sounds like it sounds like embalming fluid. To I me. think you were just you were <laughs> two you years up my too life. young. The Debbie version, the Debbie Boone version. But what about the blue? What about the blue? No, balloon? Blue, blue, blue balloon. I love blue balloon is yeah. charming. And I, I will say, his, yeah, that yeah. Robbie Benson sounds throughout. Yes, Robbie Benson sounds throughout some, if not all, of Blue Balloon, like he's reciting his Haftorah. Like that's the vocal stylings well, of Robbie well, Benson. Well, that's well, that's what's. But yes. see, Robbie. See, now I gotta stand up for Robbie here. Because sure, stand up. I love it. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not complaining. I'm just that, characterizing. Was, that, was, that was well. Well, what happened was that was the first take, and mm -hmm. he that was makes like, sense. you know. <laughs> he what he didn't he didn't think that was going to be the one they used, and then Joe was like. Nope, that's that's what we Nailed want. It. We yeah, want it to great. sound. We want it to sound kind of a little rough and not like because he's a, he's a, I'm a much better singer than that. Um, but no, so I think what you said is exactly is sort of like what he was fearing. You know, that's yeah. people are going to think I sound like <laughs> all you know na you know nasally and um, yeah, like I can't sing. So no, it, it, it doesn't yeah, sound like he can't some sing. Notes there. Yeah, it's it's charm. But you know what it is when he goes all the way down to the lowest note. That seems like it's below his register, and he's having yeah. the most struggle. Right. Right. He's got yeah. that one word. Uh, Maybe it's yeah. dimes, dimes. <laughs> he's got going. In so Joe place. Brooks also wrote the uh, hilariously appalling fake fifties music for the Lords of Flatbush. Oh, it's bad. Oh, really bad. That whole <laughs> that, that, don't say that to Gilbert Gottfried. Oh. <laughs> oh. Right. He sings oh, it all the time. Pain, that, that movie was, I, I, I mean, it's like one of those ones, you know, you saw the video box and the, that poster artwork. For well, that, it, that was a big one for us because we're from Flatbush, me and Ben, so. And I have another but, personal uh, connection and another request. Hertzberg, you need to get Boardwalk on the Fun City label. Uh, yeah. It's a little past your time. Boy, is that perfect. I know that But that's that another Stephen Verona uh, masterpiece. Stephen, oh, the director of, of Lords of Flatbush, right. also directed Boardwalk. Boardwalk was shot in my house, in, my, in the in house that house. I grew up, while okay. I was living there. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's like a home movie in a way, right? A weird. It, it totally yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who, I mean, who can, who, who else? That's like such a unique thing to say, you know, there's yeah. a movie filmed that in I, my house. That, when at I, when the, I at the tender there. age of, I think I was, how old was I? I guess I was, when, when, when was that movie? 78? 79 it came out. 79. So yes. I was 11 or 12 yeah. and I got to hang out with um, Janet Lee, Ruth Gordon, Lee Strasberg, um, 
Amazing. Yeah, I guess that's the did, three. Did you ever? And Linda Mans is in there somewhere, right? <laughs> yes, she is. I, I did hang out with Linda. She's she was one of the, the gang she, members. She, yeah. yeah. You got to meet Linda? Yep. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, that's a movie that's never been on video, I don't think at all. I don't think it's ever had an official release, did it? I don't I'll think tell it you, I don't think it's ever had an official release, but Jim Healy got me. It's one of those like home, you know, like like on demand. You can order a Blu-ray, yeah, like a Warner or, Archive, yeah, a Warner uh, yeah, Archive. Yeah. Thank you. Right. So I oh. do have a copy of it. I oh, do I'd have. Like, a, yeah, a, I'd like to finally see that because you got to do it because that is a perfect Fun City movie. It because really it is. is a movie that is like, you know, it's it's one of those, you know. It's one of those gang. It's a mm-hmm. 1979 yeah. movie. It's a New York. I mean, you had the Warriors that year. You had the Wanderers, and you had right. you know Boulevard Nights and Walk Proud with Robbie Benson. That's um, right. It's the lesser her- heralded uh, gang movie of that That's year. That's right. But, but then there's other things like Boardwalk, and um, was Sunnyside from 1979 also? <laughs> yes, it was. Well, <laughs> we covered Sunnyside on this show. Sunnyside, another another one that I when I finally yeah. finally caught up with it, like like Lords of Flatbush. It's like, all right, I can it's, check that one off and never again, you know. Um, it's actually but, an episode of Crackpot Cinema where we do Boardwalk and Sunnyside. As that's a right. Wow. That was yes. Okay. That was sort. That was the oh. launching pad for this show. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Was that episode? I, I do remember some. Fa- we had some Facebook. Yeah. Uh, conversation about this, but I didn't. I didn't hear that. I'm sorry. I have to. I but sh- you got to do boardwalk <laughs> because Ben can then do a video tour of the well, uh, that, shooting yeah, location. Well, we will have to find out where where who owns it. Where is it? Who put it out? I don't know. Um, I'm sure it's just. I'm, I bet you can get it for a buck fifty off of. Jonathan, it is crazy. It is a crazy movie. Is that good though? Is that like crazy good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say yeah. I mean, okay. look, what, it's better. Than, it's got to be better than Sunnyside. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, it's I mean, it's better than Sunnyside, I mean, but it's um, it's a it's a it entirely schizophrenic. Does it have someone else's lesser, like less famous brother starring? <laughs> yeah, that's sibling? Yeah. Uh, no. I've got a copy. I'll send you, you the file. S- yeah. Send me a file. I would like to see that. So where were we on Jeremy? We were talking about Blue We're Blue. back to Joe Brooks. <laughs> what? What uh, <laughs> so we should say Joe Brooks. Well, first, before we get to the real bad stuff, in 2005, he wrote what is regarded as one of the most notorious Broadway flops of all time called In My Life, which is a musical uh, about a village voice personally as editor with OCD who falls in love with a uh, woman who's a musician with Tourette syndrome, and they're brought together by God, who sings commercial jingles the whole time. Ooh. Oh boy! It didn't last. So, <laughs> and yeah. then in uh, you know horribly in 2009, uh, Joe Brooks was arrested for a long series of casting couch sexual assaults. And yeah, yeah. While awaiting trial in 2011, he committed yeah, suicide. Yeah, what did I say about this guy writing Jeremy? Forget that. He's, he, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, actually, it turns out, you know, years and years later that it's Jeremy is probably, it's really for the best that Joe Brooks's name is yeah, nowhere on, sure. on the yeah. movie, <laughs> except for yeah. that song. Um, uh, but, uh, but, you know, uh, it also shows that I mean, again, I, I mean, I don't know. I know really nothing about the, the I've read the, the tabloid stuff and it is a bad, right. it really ends up badly. But I mean, clearly at some point, I mean, there is, there's this, uh, if we go back to Jeremy, you know, there, there, there is, there's a wholesomeness there, which is, sure. which is genuine, you know, it doesn't, nothing, it doesn't feel forced. So if some of that came from Joe Brooks, I don't know, maybe, it, maybe it, 
you know, maybe at some point, uh, you know, he, he went wrong somewhere down the line. But when he was working, <laughs> when, when this movie was being made, I, I mean, it, there's a purity to it is all I'm trying to say. And I completely you know, agree with and, you. Yeah. Um, well, I was just going to say, when we're talking about the music, I mean, one of the things that I like about this movie is that both actors get to sing yeah. a song in the movie. And that doesn't happen that often. And here in this movie, it, it totally works because because um, they're both such personal the lyric, the songs are so, uh, you know, it just it just sort of feeds into how how, well, first of all, like that the, these two uh, characters are kind of, uh, you know, at a certain point, it's just it's just those two. Like the rest of the world is kind of, uh, you, you know, there's really no one else. Uh, there really aren't that many other characters that are really absorbed in each other. So and and uh, I don't know. I I think that uh, that that the songs that the personal nature of those the the lyrics. Um, I don't know. It could be hokey, but it totally it all it all works. I mean, I, I mean, you know, if we're not if we're not writing, if we're not looking at the lyrics on a lyric sheet, it, it I'm with you all the no, way. No, even when you are looking at the, I, I love the, I, I love that fourteen dimes thing. Like, I I think it's great. Yeah. You can go <laughs> but, back to that. <laughs> Just whatever. I'm going to run that joke into the ground, no, no matter what happens. But but it also uh, you were saying like that sort of gimmick of of, of actors singing uh, songs in their movies that reminds me of John Travolta. Who I think did that more successfully than than a lot of other actors in, in the later seventies and and beyond. Um, but also, this movie to me sort of summons up Travolta, or, or seems to have provided in, uh, inspiration for him, not only in the in the in that Robbie Benson sings the the theme song, but also I think that Len Barry's character of Ralph is sort of a proto Barbarino. I mean, a much oh, more yeah. sort of down Absolutely, to earth. Yeah. But he really reminds Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Well, who knows? Yeah. Maybe he maybe he auditioned for Barbarino. It's very <laughs> possible. Well, he because he does show up later on the tv show fish right yep. which is the barney miller's <laughs> yes, totally yes. yes and i've never seen it but i'm imagining he's playing us oh, i watched every episode of fish yeah he was <laughs> like the italian hunk yeah yeah it was todd bridges fat sam from bugsy malone and another girl i think those were fish's kids yeah what's the theme song to fish mike do you know Uh oh you know i i it was uh, it was an instrumental, and I can't, I can't quite think of it right now. It was the kids walking in the door with Fish and his wife, Bernice. Bernice. Who played Bernice? I don't remember. A Selma what? Diamond what? type, but oh, it wasn't yeah, Selma exactly. Diamond. Right, yeah. right, right. Mm. So what I was going to say, Mike, is that something yes. that, that occurred to me early on in this movie uh, with the racing forms is that, uh, so we've got this goofy kind of loner kid who studies racing forms, but he never bets. And then that scene cuts to him in the subway. And suddenly I was all psyched because I'm thinking maybe this movie has the same plot as On the Right Track with Gary Coleman. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although Robbie spends a lot of time in the locker room he doesn't actually live in a locker which is maybe if i had to pick a single flaw that in this film right. is that he doesn't live in a locker but otherwise it's great that's pretty yeah <laughs> that's a good connection <laughs> thank you i just i'm stuck i'm reaching here but a crack so uh, should we talk a bit about robbie benson coming into and co going out of jeremy so sure. uh he would nominate it for a golden globe for jeremy uh jeremy itself won the best first work prize that that year's can film festival Mm -hmm. uh, oh, oh, he was nominated for uh, Gold Globe, Most Promising Newcomer Male. Hmm. And so this was, uh, he had had a bit part in Wait Until Dark. Uh, and then in 1973 was in a Western called Jory, 
where he played a 15-year-old, uh, and it was J-O-R-Y, which I'm presuming is his name. Yeah. Um, and he's the 15-year-old gunslinger sidekick of B.J. Thomas. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Wow. There's <laughs> another guy singing his own songs. It's, it's yeah. not, isn't that funny? He starred in two films with where he's the title character. Uh, right. Right off yeah. the bat. Both. And it seems to yeah. be sort of a knockoff of the... Um, John Wayne movie, The Cowboys, which is a movie I love a lot. Um, he went from this to Lucky Lady, which is a movie I've never seen, always wanted to see. A notorious bomb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Directed by Stanley Donnan with uh, Liza Minnelli, Gene Hackman, and uh, Burt Reynolds. And, uh, and then Death Be Not Proud, he got really great reviews. That was his TV movie. That mm-hmm. was my introduction uh, to Robbie Benson. Yeah, Death right, Be Not Proud. Right. That's what I, I remember that very clearly and that was 75 too mm-hmm. and then uh, Ode to Billy Joe where he's reteamed <laughs> with uh, Glynis O'Connor and Jonathan have you ever heard my Ode to Billy Joe story I think I might have read it somewhere I think you, I think you, I think you posted it somewhere yeah yeah is there but time re- to retell the Ode to Billy Joe story I think so yeah you have so, to it hasn't been on this okay. show so you have okay, to okay good good so uh Ode to Billy Joe, of course, is Bobby Gentry's very haunting uh, Southern Gothic ballad from, I think, the late 60s. And uh, Max Baer Jr., Jethro Bodine from the Beverly Hillbillies, who had become a drive-in, like, just a mogul with Macon County Line and a couple other movies. And he uh, turned it into, uh, turned that song into this movie, perfectly cast with Robbie Benson and... Glynis O'Connor, who both do extremely well playing uh, teenagers, like in, you know, the rural Mississippi in the 30s, coming off of, you know, playing well-to-do kids in Manhattan in the 70s. So that's really impressive. Um, And the song is centered on this mystery. Why did this young kid who was with his girlfriend and they were throwing something off the bridge and no one knows why did he commit suicide and jump off the Tallahatchie Bridge? And the movie says, well, we're going to just reveal exactly why. And the reason is because uh, he's gay. And this is the 30s in the Deep South. So I was I did, I did not see the, th- the film in the theater. It was a huge hit. And it was on NBC, this, like the Sunday night movie in 1980. So I was 12. When I tell this story, I was not five. I was 12. And I was a hard twelve-year-old. I had I had I had seen a lot. I had read a lot. I had known a lot. But I was watching this, and there's a scene like the the you know the traveling fair comes to their little town, and it's the big bacchanal of the year, and it's you know just quiet, crazy drinking and orgiastic carryings on, and the owner of the sawmill kind of summons Billy Joe to step behind a tent, and they go behind a tent, and then. I'm watching on NBC, prime time, on a Sunday night. The owner of the sawmill bends Billy Joe over like a table at the sawmill and has just this insane sodomy scene with with young Robbie Benson. And I was really just shocked and I couldn't believe my eyes. So, uh, the mo- years later, I hadn't seen the movie for decades. And I'm going through YouTube and... I said, oh, Ultra Billy Joe's on here. And I said to my wife, uh, you got to watch this. You're not going to believe this scene where Robbie Benson gets sodomized by the old soul mill owner. 
So we, we watched the whole movie, the worst quality. We could barely hear it. I'm like, it's going to be worth it because you're not going to believe this was on NBC. And I get through the whole thing. There's no scene. Billy Joe just steps behind the tent and it seems implied. We know what happened. So then I find like some like black market bootlegs and I'm, I'm like, I get it. And I'm like, all right, let's watch this one. No scene. So then I realized later I had completely fabricated that scene in my mind. It was never shot. It does not exist. You had dreamed except, it and then woke up in a puddle. I'll, uh, yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> except in my fevered psyche. Yeah. And I can still picture it. But and then somebody else told me that they had seen, they, they also saw that. So And that there were other men, and he thought maybe Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard, that actor was there. He's there in the other movie. Men, yeah, they thought maybe he was there cheering them on and stuff. Right. So it, it's a little bit of that Mandela effect, I think, I plugged into. So there's much there to the story of Ode to Billy Joe, that Ode. Isn't there that famous uh, thing about uh, about um, um, Sinbad being Kazan in a... In a in and Shazam. Right, yeah. Yeah, the genie movies. Right. Sinbad as Shazam, yeah. Right, which never was, but everyone thinks right. it definitely happened. And then the uh, I think the it's, coming out on, it's coming out on Fun City, actually, John, Jonathan That's told right. me. <laughs> <laughs> you got, death, I watched The Death of Richie last night, oh. which I had seen before. I wow. love that movie. Ben Gazzara. Yeah. Eileen Brennan. Uh, quite a cast. Uh, Charles Fleischer. The voice of Roger Rabbit, Clint Char- Howard, Charles Fleischer, Lance Kerwin. Wow, that's a, that's a, that is a dream team. That is. Yeah. How, how is it that no one has ever written a song about Robbie Benson's hair, like you know, like Betty Davis eyes? Or, <laughs> yeah, well, that's your job now. I'm going to work on it. Uh, you know, or but uh, I want to say the death of Richie. I remember reading a hilarious interview with Vincent Gallo, and he was saying the reason he became an actor was the death of Richie. And <laughs> that Danny makes Bonaduce, perfect sense. Yeah. Danny Bonaducci and Dave Madden on the Barger Fair. I was like, I mean, he's right. I mean, all that, that is some powerhouse shit, and he, and he gets it. One on One, a movie I saw in the theater and really liked. Me too. That was my big Robbie Benson movie. After, yeah, after really the Death liked. Be Not Proud uh, precursor. Yeah. I think that's his big, that's his, that might be his most successful film, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of the peak. Yeah. Robbie. And then he was in The End, which was an R-rated movie I snuck into. Uh, Ice Castles, a film we must do on this show. Yeah, seventy eight. You, you kind of must. I that need is a to. Must. Uh, can I? Can we bring my wife as a special guest? That's her flick. Can or, we bring? Can we bring my sister and your wife? Yeah, because sure. That's our special movie. Me and my sister. Oh, that's right. We that talked about great. that. But no, I'd love to have Kate. Will she come on? That'd be awesome. Oh, she'll come on. Let's do it. We'll uh, do it. And then, but you keep hinting that Rachel's got a movie she wants to do with us. Yeah. But you're not telling us do, what. Uh, oh, you're gonna tell us. Yeah. Oh, listen, no, this is really review. a Black Friday fucking. Uh, <laughs> it's not on this show. No. <laughs> yeah, that's it's all right. Uh, oh, no, oh, we're waiting. A... We're waiting. I'll just say it's a Linda Linda Mann's film that we're waiting for the Blu-ray to come out. So. Oh, okay. No, it's uh, out of the blue. It's right. coming mm-hmm. out on Blu-ray. Yeah. So. Um, and then after Ice Castles, he had he had a rough patch of movies for a while, but then um, appeared on Broadway. With uh, his wife Carla DeVito in the Pirates of Penzance, and mm. uh, I believe they're still married. They are. They, they are still married. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I yeah. saw a picture of him. He looks better than ever. That son he of a bitch. He looks amazing. He looks hey, so cool. You, you will see him. You will see him on the Jeremy Blu-ray. He does. He looks great, and he's he's funny. 
man, let me tell you the story, like what he's telling us, like he's, he's just got, he has a, you look at him, you're like, this guy should be, he does, he gets a bad rap. And I don't think it's, I mean, I think, I think people, even when they haven't seen his movies, they're like, oh, he's lightweight. You know, he's just a blue eyes, the hair. He was the pretty boy, the 16 pretty magazine boy. tiger beat Peter yeah. Pan up. Yeah. And, 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 uh, but I'm looking at, you know, seeing him do this, just do this interview. Like he's totally, he's got, he's got timing. He's funny, very easygoing. He's got a charm. Uh, he could still you know, I, I mean, I know he is still acting, I, I think, occasionally. But I mean, what I'm saying is he he could be he could be bigger profile, I think. Yeah. Well, he he became a voiceover guy. He's he's well, the beast. Yeah. And Beauty right. and the Beast. Right. Yeah. It, well, that, that's true. But I'm, but like he's, he looks good. He, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he can definitely be too. Too. I mean, he's, he works a lot. Doesn't he's he? yeah, done he's, a lot. Yeah. And he's also taught. He's also taught. Uh, like He's taught filmmaking at, you know, several, uh, you know, on the university level uh, as well. Uh, directing actors and and because uh, he had a big he did have a big career directing TV I think he was directing like Friends yeah. and uh, you yeah. know other big that's time what I was thinking big, of. big TV directors yeah. yeah Mike but, Mike yeah. who who's yes. the director of One on One who directed that movie I don't know offhand that's, Lo- that's Lamont Johnson oh, oh Jonathan knows offhand right, right on yeah who also did uh, he did he's another director that did a lot of really interesting tv movies and theatrical films at the same time uh the last american hero the 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 one I love that, that jeff movie. bridges I film love that that's, movie. that's one of his and also that- years later one of the first movies that i remember going to see was uh not his finest moment but um it was a uh, space hunter adventures in oh, oh in the, the forbidden, zone, the forbidden yes. zone in 3d that's lamont johnson that's also. Right. i yeah. saw that in a theater in 3d as well and i wasn't young enough to to have an excuse so. <laughs> <laughs> that was five so yeah it was it, i i mean my memory of it is that it was great and i'm just going to stick with that i'm not going to go revisit it uh, so Anyway, what, what, why were you asking about the director of uh, One on One? I don't know. I'm just, just we're, we, as we go through Robbie's career, I was wondering because that's but, so I, I think that one, is another big... one more note I have about Robbie Benson is that you know so he's very sensitive. He's he's a type uh, of teen idol from the '70s before punk and disco. Very mm-hmm. soft, and he's of the school of uh, Leaf Garrett, Sean Cassidy, Andy Gibb, Rex Smith, and. Um, He's the only one who didn't get a hit song. He deserved to have one of the, of that gang, uh, the Bay City Rollers, and then. Uh, but then after him, and we talk about you know Barbarino and and Fish, uh, the Teen Isles had a bit more edge. So you had Travolta, Scott Bayo, mm-hmm. Willie Ames, Rick Springfield, a little bit more of a Willie Ames, really? Yeah, he doesn't have an edge, yeah. Mike. <laughs> Willie Ames, what's the matter? Willie with Ames has well, he does, he's not ethnic, but no, he was you know his persona was like he was oh, a yeah, prankster, right, he was horny. Right, right. He, yeah, you think about yeah. it, it was Tommy on Eight Is Enough? I'm talking about, you know? right, right. He was always trying to get laid. He was always you know. That's not my right. memory of Tommy, but I'll trust you. <laughs> oh, please, we can we can talk Tommy for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Um, hmm. He was the unknown stripper. What's that? What's the Robbie Benson movie where he plays like a gang leader? Or That's something? Walk, That's, walk Proud. Oh, oh Walk, walk Proud, proud okay. which is yeah. which was woeful, woeful discasting. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I finally watched that movie, and I was like, I was yeah. expecting the worst. I finally watched that, right. and I watched Boulevard Nights. I feel like around the same right. time, and yeah. I, I was like, they both—they're not bad. You know, I mean, they're kind of right. like. R-rated. You know, Boulevard Nights is preserved by the National Film Registry. 
That I did not know. Yeah, that blew my mind. I learned that while I was researching under uh, what, Jeremy. Under what pretext did they preserve it? It was uh, important cultural, historic, or uh, artistic uh, merit. Yeah. Hmm. So. Hmm. All right, shall we talk a bit about Glynis O'Connor? Yeah, can I start by saying that Please. I spent half the movie trying to remember why do I know her so well? And I had conv- just when I convinced myself that it was really only because she looks so much like Linda Blair that I finally paused the movie and looked her up. I was like, oh, yeah, Boy in the Plastic Bubble, which I watched. There you go. Again that's recently. And, that's, and that's where she's literally playing, like, she was, th- she's the girl next door, literally. And, yes. And, and she, <laughs> but also. But, but she int- embodied that. That's her, that's. Yeah. In, right. in in a good way. But she also has this in, in, in Jeremy, she's got this look that I feel like she, you know, uh, this certainly doesn't, we don't see any of this and they don't even imply it in the movie, but she sure, she sure looks high a lot. She looks like she's stoned to me a lot of this movie. Um, but I, what I like about her connection in, in Boy in the Plastic Bubble and this movie, there were the connection between these two movies and Glynis O'Connor's, they both have this horse element. In, in Boy in the Plastic Bubble, she's a horse rider. And she, if you remember, there's this great scene where she, where she literally <laughs> leaps with a horse over the yes. plastic bubble. Right. <laughs> Travolta's right. like laying there in the sun. And That's she, the big moment. Is that, is yes. that on the beach? Trust. Is that on the uh, beach? Or no, but the, there is. But he does come out to the beach. That's and, right. He yeah. wears a crazy yeah. suit on the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's. Yeah. We got to do that movie. I, yeah, I could talk about that. Movie. And then you <laughs> could talk. You could talk Paul Williams there too. Because yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but but so so anyway, Glynis, where, where were we with? Who we're just you? talking about her. You know, Baby Blue Marine with uh, Jan Michael Vincent, and then Boy in the Plastic Bubble, Ode to Billy Joe. Our Town. I remember watching that. Yeah. Uh, it was the version with the no props and just the sound effects. Yeah. Like, like it was, a, it was, it was, it was, it was what Lars von Trier based his whole career on. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it was very Dogma Proto 95. Yeah. Uh, 20 years earlier. Um, and then her next heartthrob role was uh, the 1979 comedy California Dreamin', mm-hmm. where she's a beach volleyball star opposite Dennis Christopher. And Dennis Christopher, of course, is in uh, Fade to Black, which will be uh, released today, Black that's, Friday. That's right. That's right. He's a curious character, man. He like, who sure thought, is. Who thought that guy was going to be like a, a hunky, okay. clean man? I, well, heard you, uh, I heard you say something like this on Crackpot. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I and I and I wasn't sure what you were implying. I, I heard you say something about watching Breaking Away again recently and thinking yeah. like, who thought this was a good idea? Yeah, I'll fight uh, you on that. He's fantastic uh, yeah. in Breaking I'll Away. What the fuck too. is wrong with you, asshole? He never did anything good. Breaking Away. I uh-huh. love Breaking Away, and he but, works there. Yeah. Oh, he does. Okay, but, good. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, he works in that role, but I don't. Yes. But anytime they no, try never... to put him in something else, right? Absolutely. It was a f- disaster. Except Circuitry Man. You ever see that movie? <laughs> no, I it's like a disto. It's a, that's awesome. It's I saw that Forty Second Street. <laughs> it's a sci-fi horror movie, and he's a guy who eats slugs. He like lives in the sewer and he eats slugs. Is is he, the, like, circuit, is is he the circuitry man? No, circuitry man is a guy who has like outlets on his head. Oh, he, I think circuitry man was in. Lamont Johnson. That's right, <laughs> circuitry man. Is, That's it Lamont, right. is that Lamont Johnson too? No, no, no. no, no he's no. some freaky dude. Circuitry, circuitry man is awesome, by the way. So. No, but but I think that Dennis Christopher is one of those actors where 
he everything was leading up to breaking away like he has a lot of really choice supporting parts in films yeah. like Altman films and and um, he was kind of sought after uh, or, uh, September 30th 1955 the James right, Bridges right. film and then breaking away that role I feel like was like made for him he's completely so, I agree totally yeah so great in that film and then it just seemed but he was not conventional he wasn't conventional leading man it just seems like the they didn't, you know, the other parts that followed, it was hard, you know, it was like Dennis Quaid was the conventional leading man that, right. in Breaking Away. Well, and he have, yes, know. but but in fairness to Dennis Christopher, I mean, I don't know, it doesn't, you know, he, he picked these roles, but I mean, who could have done anything with Fade to Black? Is there a better version of Fade to Black that we can imagine in our minds with a different actor? I don't know, it's just not. No. Oh, I, just, I think, you know, I, I mean, I, I actually haven't seen Fade to Black. It's one that I've been wanting to oh, see oh. for forever. So I'm excited to finally see it, you know. Uh, I will say, know. I think Fade to Black is terrible, and I love it. But, but you, do an, you do an impression. Terrible. Don't you do a Dennis Christopher in, in Fade to Black? Don't you have that in your I, repertoire? Yeah, I can't remember what it is. Well, it is. He's like Kit Carson, and he's a Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah. I it did a whole Dennis Christopher thing, yeah. Well, it's an odd follow-up from Breaking Away. It definitely it sure is. Was, For sure. It, it, it's, it's, it's nutty. Yeah. Yeah. But, and who knows? Maybe maybe that was the best offer he had. I, I don't know. But he, there's a... He, well, here's what, I, here's what I will say about that, is that the writer of Breaking Away, Steve Tessick, followed it up with Four Friends, which is a movie that, that, that Craig Wasson got the lead in. He got the Dennis Christopher part, but I could easily see Dennis Christopher doing You're as right. good a job right. or better in Four Friends. What yeah. a great point yeah. that is. That's, yeah, a, that's, a that's really the kind of actor he is. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Thank you're you. Right. I'm done here. I've, I've said it all. Four friends. That's what <laughs> California dreaming. He's like on the beach. He's like, wow, ah, you really play good vibes. He's kind of annoying. There you go. That, There's your right? dance, Yeah. 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 I, I, and then I mean, Seymour Cassell is the old jazz bow at the bar. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see that again. I know there's a new Blu-ray out. I, I would be curious to see. I, oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah. Took me it, off here. That I got. There's see. a Dennis Christopher interview on there, but they don't have. Oh, Glyn- we got it. Yeah. They don't have Glynis okay. on there though. We we have Glynis on. Jeremy, no, you got Glynis. No, I mean that's really amazing. That's great. And it was nice to see Dennis Christopher in um, uh, whatever Tarantino he was in the um, um, yeah I forgot which one it was like two uh, movies ago it, right? it was Django Django oh was Django. he in two, two? Oh, he was really? definitely in Django no I don't Django know you're right yeah Django you're right three movies sorry three movies ago I think yeah Right, and 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 and, uh, and Tarantino, I think, said that he, I think he really wanted him because of maybe I think maybe it was for breaking away or something. Like well, I that. hope it wasn't for Fade to Black. <laughs> but, there, but, there, but there was a nice interview with where you could tell Dennis Christopher was genuinely touched that you know that that's great that yeah. that Tarantino remembered him and wanted him for this part. And then, so Gwyneth's first, like, grown-up role is Those Lips, Those Eyes, a movie I've never seen and have always meant to see. I've seen it. I have seen that. How is it? It's, it's been a while. I, I I recall it that it was, it's a, it's like, a, it's another coming-of-age story. Right. It's, it's like a theater, it's like a backstage theater right. romance uh drama with, with uh, Tom, Tom Hulse. Tom I think, yeah. And, and, uh, Frank Langella. And, uh, it, She's good. She, I remember that she was good in it, and it's it's a nice movie. It's kind of a, but it kind of a harmless film. I, it's, sure. it's not. It's, yeah. There's no edge there. It was. I think. I think right. the director on that was. Uh, I think it was Michael Pressman. I think. I don't know if it was like an autobiographical thing. It was like a right. person. It was like his. I think uh, like a more of like a like a personal project. But uh, but after that, uh, there's. 
not not a whole lot of theatrically for her, right? I yeah. Mean, do you have her? Do you have her filmography up there? I don't have her pulled up, but no, that's kind of where my notes stop. I mean, she does a lot was, of. Yeah. She there's a few other there's another film of hers that I would like to see, which is also kind of totally out of circulation. A Canadian film called Melanie, which she's the lead part, and she won the Genie for like best oh, sure. best yeah. foreign actress. But it's like another one of those films that's completely dropped off out of circulation so i guess maybe you know that's a fun city project possibly i don't know (laughs) Uh, um. so uh one last uh thing that is really interesting and this was one of my favorite things uh part of the research that you uh gave to me jonathan was the love shy men study oh yeah 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 so in 1975 psychologist dr brian g gilmartin conducted a uh, study of 300 quote, love shy, unquote, men. He reported that Jeremy was the favorite film of the men in the study. Many of the men had seen the film more than once, with 17 of them having seen it 20 or more times. One 39-year-old man had seen it 86 times, and another 43-year-old man had seen it 42 times, and then spent $1,000 to obtain his own illegal 16-millimeter print despite making only $9,000 a year and relying on food stamps. Wow. We. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read so. that. I read that on, I don't know, is that on the Wikipedia or IMDb? I, I definitely read that I before. Thought it was in, I thought it was in the package you gave me, but I don't, I don't remember. But oh, yeah. maybe. Maybe it was in there. I, I can't remember, but that was a real uh, head spinner. Yeah. <laughs> that one. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, well, it, make, it makes sense, though. It makes sense. Yes, it does. Yeah. And, and uh, I could be, two two highlights of this movie that make that make sense for me is the first of all that that first phone call uh, where Robbie Benson calls Glennis O'Connor. I think that mm-hmm. is absolutely adorable and feels so insanely true to life to uh, many phone calls that I attempted to make in my high school years. And, and then and then I think just about as good as that, which I mean is hard to beat, uh, even in this movie that's full of charming romantic awkward high school moments like that is when they well first of all they decide he he in that on that phone call he invites her out for a date and and she says yes and then he says the movie is at six o'clock and eight o'clock and you know he this is, this is the first she knows that they're going to a movie but they're going right. to see a wc fields movie which warmed my heart that gets me yes. at wc fields mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know how realistic it is that there's a line around the corner for for my little chickadee but i'm a hundred percent realistic I, that's what i was gonna say i'm happy for it to be accurate a hundred percent because you think about just when we go through the old movie ads, think about those Marx Brothers movies at W.C. Fields. Charlie Chaplin, constant re-release. Yeah. yeah. And if you wanted to go see them, you had to go to the movies. And there would be a line to see My Little Chickadee, for sure. sure. I remember. And I love that. And I love that yeah. he took her to see that. And I love that you talked yeah. about, you guys talked about that on the commentary, too. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. See, that, that, was the, that was the McPadden. That was like... That was like totally. You were there to, to say yeah. just what you did right now. Like that's a totally yeah. New York thing, and it was authentic, right? Because it was in the cultural zeitgeist at the time, right? There was a totally, there was yeah. a nostalgic wave going on. Yeah, yes. It wasn't the, like King King Kong was like re released around that no. time too. And the Marx yeah. and the Marx Brothers. Everyone yeah. was obsessed with the Marx Brothers yeah. all through the early seventies. Even playing like in Brooklyn, out by us, they yeah. would just open them. 
on a Friday or a Wednesday used to, usually. Oh, okay, but they bail yeah. on My Little Chickadee and they opt instead to go to have a, uh, some pizza. Which it, right. the, and, and the conversation that they have over that table is just about as charming as the phone call. So insanely awkward when she asks him, what are you? And he says a sophomore. And, and I, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking like, yeah, maybe that's what she was asking. But of course, you know, she wants to know his nationality and he says Jewish. Right. And yeah. that's another great thing all through the 70s growing up. There was always that is you know is that's not a nationality or yes but the one part of that that confuses me a little that that does not look like a typical new york city 70s slice joint do, mike did you do any research did you try to figure oh, out where I, they well, are you, well you know what i thought it looked like i thought it looked like kind of reminded me of john's pizza on bleecker street because yeah. it's that wood. I would think it was. A, I thought it was a fancy upper, upper but, east but side Park asked, Avenue kind of place. I asked yeah. Glynis, and she said it was a raise. It was one of the famous rays. Oh, really? That's what she said. Wow. Yeah. Uh, who were I, probably trying to knock off Johns at that point because Johns was the big the big boy in town. Yeah. Well, my my one other gripe about that is I don't know how it looks on the on the on the beautiful restoration that you've done for the Fun City release, but in the in the sort of in the on the on the, on the print I watched it, but that slice of pizza that Robbie's eating looks kind of nasty. I don't know what's on it. Oh, it looks like it's <laughs> there's got some black mass, like some. Well, Truffles or something? Maybe it's a truffle pizza. I'm not sure what's going oh, on. Right. So we'll, we'll do a we'll do a, a ultra high def study. Maybe, of that, may, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that pie that's that's that pie might have been sitting there under the lights for prop, a while. Which is yeah. prop pizza. So well, he eats it. He's got it all in his teeth well, and everything. He's. Going, I asked. He's going I, I asked Robbie about if he knew about the Love Shy uh, study. I think I asked both of them. They didn't. They were not aware of that. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, wrap, wrapping up that, this part of the conversation, just it, it's, a, it's a great movie. I thank you for uh, all the work you've done with Fun mm -hmm. City. This is especially, uh, uh, you know, an important movie to this podcast because uh, this is about, like we said, we almost called this show Fun City because I said, Ben, we got to do a show about growing up in New York City in the 70s and going to the movies and watching movies on TV. Yeah. So thank you for that. And yeah. uh, I'm ordering my Blu-ray as we speak. I'm ordering our Blu-ray. I'm ordering the Blu-ray as this podcast is is being listened to by people. <laughs> I am pressing uh, uh, buy. Well, thank uh, you. So, but Jonathan, you, you you mentioned listening to our Sam Deegan episode on Audrey Rose, yes. and uh, you said uh, it made me not want to watch it. And my whole thing is, I would never tell anybody to not watch a movie. I mean, even like no matter how bad I say it is or something, I would say watch it and then we can discuss it. But uh, you guys said it was pretty bad. I think Audrey Rose's. It's oh, it was it was still god awful. It was terrible. It was just, <laughs> but magnificent in terms of capturing mm -hmm. the city mm -hmm. um, in that moment, as you know, few other films could. And that element, pure fun city. The, the, the New York as a character in Audrey Rose is pure fun city. Yeah, and I and I and I will t and I'll I would totally say that. I mean, I, I I get that. Like I could if if Audrey Rose had been if if I still had regular TV and that and I happened to flip by it, I'm sure I would just I probably would be drawn in just by that just to start with, not knowing anything else about it because of the New York mm -hmm. locations. And they're in the the Hotel Day Artistes. Uh, which is where they live, where they have, uh, which was an, a hotel for artists, I guess, or an apartment building for artists, which is complete, I mean, a unique piece of architecture like you wouldn't believe. So it's worth checking All out right. for just that. 
And uh, anything else, Ben? About Jeremy? Oh, I wanted to ask you guys well, real quickly about Jeremy. Yeah. Where, when, when did you, do you remember when you saw it the first time or how you saw it? You know, was it in the mm. 70s? You know, it probably was just on TV. Yeah. And I never actually, and I always liked it. And then I remember the Danny Peary or Perry, I'm trying to adjust to saying <laughs> that, review in Guide for the Film Fanatic. Always made me want to see it again. And I never got really to sit down and watch it all the way through till we started working on the uh, disc. And then I, all the pieces I had seen and loved were assembled really nicely for me. I also think I saw some or all of it on TV, but I can't remember if it was like a 4.30 movie mm. or it was like at night, like in prime time. Uh, but I definitely, I feel like I caught up to it like after one-on-one -on -one when I was like, oh, mm -hmm. Robbie Benson yeah, is like the yeah. superstar of the right. century and I now need to see all his stuff. And wait, there's another Robbie Benson movie on TV? Oh, wow. Cool. I mean, but I, I have to say, I'm so, how old was Robbie Benson when this movie was made and released? He was, uh, I think he was 16. I think they were both 16 when they filmed it. Right at the same, yeah, yeah, right around the same age as the characters. Because yeah. at first I was surprised at how old he seemed in 1973, because I, in my brain I always thought like he was my age or even younger. Mm -hmm. um, but Because uh, he kept you know, playing young kids throughout the rest of the decade. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like in one-on-one, -on -one, is he is he a He's college basketball to be player? Or? He's supposed to be a college freshman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he gets yeah. yeah he gets a scholarship yeah. and uh, not quite living up to his potential and this takes a lot of guff. So he was coach. playing eighteen when he was twenty. So it's not that big of a stretch. It's not like he no, was... no, it's it's unusually close. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say about Jeremy that was interesting to me was their their kissing. Like I thought, like a couple of their kisses, maybe the good morning kiss felt right, but towards the end when they're supposed to be doing some more passionate kissing, it just felt really weird and sort of closed mouthed in a way that. Do they talk about feeling awkward about kissing uh, more intimately on camera? Or were they? Did they talk about being? No, I mean they actually talked. I mean, that's a that's an interesting observation, and now I want to go back and look at it and see, because it's not something that struck me. But they just talked about how actually the love scene was one of the first things that they shot, like and oh, wow. and, um, <laughs> and and not maybe not the first thing, but it was I think it was pretty early on, and they talked about how. Um, that's you know, that they had a bond after that and they were like i mean they became a couple in real life and i think that the rest that the, the the chemistry was there so it wouldn't seem like they would have trouble kissing, no and now and you know what just occurred to me there's that shot at the end of their lovemaking scene where they're sort of sitting on the floor and and jeremy's got his like uh his knee is yeah. up and you know it's sort of a, a, a nicely composed but that kind of reminds me of some of the positions that, that uh, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie get into and don't look now. <laughs> wow. Um, it's kind of like the, it's, it's the high school version of don't look now. Sex. I mean, I never would have put those two, these two films together. Um, I can't, well, I just did yeah. that for you. <laughs> we're, we're stuck in the seventies in a um, grand way when that happens. All right, but I'm, I'm, I gotta tell you, I'm excited to move on to our, what else was playing segment. Yeah. Because this is great. Because uh, this movie was reviewed on Thursday, August 2nd, 1973 in the New York Times. And looking at the ads for movies, this is, all, this is, a, this is a, a month and a year that we have not talked about yet. Because I don't think we've mentioned any of these movies as having been played 
has been playing at the same time as whatever movie we were talking about on another episode. So you ready to go through some stuff playing in New it. York? So next to the uh, review of um, uh, of uh, Jeremy, well, on top of the review of Jeremy is a review of, I guess it's a stage production of King Lear with James Earl Jones. Mm. Um, oh, class. Uh, and, but, uh, but next to that is our ads for the following movies, the Neptune factor. Do you remember this movie with Ben Gazzara? No. Oh, wow. Yeah, I do. Um, Ernest Borgnine, Ben Gazzara, Walter Pigeon directed by Daniel, uh, Petrie. Does that, is that how you yeah. say? Yeah. Say Like the dish. Yeah, Petri dish, uh, the Neptune factor, uh, which looks like it's got like underwater sea creatures. It's the most fantastic undersea odyssey ever filmed. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe you don't, you've never heard of this. Mike. No, I've heard of it, but never seen it. Yeah. Wow. I think I've seen at least some of it on TV. Uh, and then underneath that, a sneak preview tonight at 8 p.m. Where were you in 62? It was a sneak preview of American Graffiti at, right. at the Sutton. Um, so that's awesome to think of a time before there was no American yeah. Graffiti. And that Jeremy came out uh, right before American Graffiti. And so it was, you know, predated the sudden nostalgia craze that was about to right. swamp but in a, the But in a weird way, like I said, the, the with the genesis of the story of Jeremy, mm-hmm. in a weird way, it is a nostalgia piece, although set in the that's, 70s. That's a great observation. Yeah. Right. Joe Brooks' uh, fevered memory of his <laughs> childhood in the 50s or 60s. Um, uh, Liv Ullman and the Emigrants was playing at the symphony on Broadway and 95th street. So maybe that was the theater that they're seeing my little chickadee in. And, uh, I don't know. Uh, live Ulm the emig- the emigrants. Also, it was playing with Lawrence Olivier as the entertainer, both in color. They want us to know in 1973. So that. <laughs> at the, I saw a little of the entertainer on TV. It was odd. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember it too well, but that was it. It just struck me odd. Yeah. Um, at the 72nd Street East at First Avenue, a dollar at all times was Let the Good Times Roll. What is that? I don't even know what that movie is. Do I? Should I know what that is? That's like a 50s rock and roll uh, uh, nostalgia See, The nostalgia package. was oh. already happening. It had already started. Is that like an American hot wax kind of thing? Or are you saying it was actual footage from the 50s? It was like a, you know, it was like... Uh, yeah, it was doo-wop groups and then pictures of, you know, people drinking malt and something like that. So, Okay. At the Sutton, when they weren't um, sneak previewing American Graffiti, was the last of Sheila. Oh, yes. Um, at the Columbia 2, 2nd Avenue and 64th Street, was a Stanley Kramer production, Oklahoma Crude. Anyone ever seen Oklahoma Crude? Never saw it. Certainly know the name. Uh, when know. I when I thought when I saw this ad, I thought it was like a gay porn movie. But I guess it's I don't think Stanley Kramer was involved with that. So um, at the Baronet and the Little Carnegie was a touch of class with George Siegel and Glenda Jackson. Ah, oh, charmer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the seventh smash flagship week for the Heartbreak Kid, which was in Brooklyn. The greatest friggin' movie ever made. In Brooklyn, it was at the Albemarle and the Avalon. Ah, uh, the Avalon. All right. We talk about the Avalon a lot. That's where I saw. Great to that's see where it, I yeah. saw Breaking Away probably three times in a movie theater. Wow. Um, has anyone ever seen the film version of Siddhartha? Uh, a film by Conrad. No. Rooks. Books. Rooks. 
works? No. I don't know. I have not. <laughs> here, and then here was a double feature that I don't think I saw as a double feature, but man, were these movies big for me back in 1973. Um, Charlotte's Web on a double bill with Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Wow. Yeah. And then Willy Wonka holds up for me. Charlotte's Web, eh, I don't know. Maybe not the greatest. Yeah, kind of cartoon. fell by the wayside, Charlotte's Web. That's, uh, but you know, Paul Lind is the definitive, uh, whatever the name of that. Oh, what's the name of the? Templeton. Templeton, thank you. At Lincoln Center, they were doing a Walt Disney 50th anniversary film retrospective. At 11 a.m., they were showing Sleeping Beauty, which even in the ad says sold out. At 2 p.m., Mickey, wow. Mickey Mouse Damn. shorts from 1928 to 1953. And they were rounding out the day at 8 p.m. with The Love Bug. So that was a fun day at uh, at Lincoln Center. That's great. Yeah, that's that's a lineup. Um, in its second week, all over the place, was the most exciting cops and robbers picture since The French Connection. Any seven, ideas seven, what seven that ups. might be? The seven ups. Seven no, ups. No, but that's a good guess. Good guess. Fuzz. Nope. Oh, 73. Because seven ups is 73. In, but. Inspired by the exploits of Eddie Egan, it says. Oh, badge, badge 373. Uh, yes, Jonathan. Yes. Mr. Hertzberg. Well, nice. you, gave, you gave it away. I mean, that was that was low-hanging fruit at that point. Yeah. Not a very good movie. <laughs> well, uh, who's in badge 373? Is that it's, Duvall? It's, it's Duvall. Yeah, it's Duvall. And it's, okay. it's, it just hasn't aged like his, his, the shtick, you know, the, the colorful language, it just hasn't, you know, the, hasn't aged it yeah. all that well, but Gene Hackman did yeah, it a lot. It comes better. off as, uh, right. Yes. There's a problem with the, with the racist language in that film, I believe. And attitudes. Uh, the man who loved cat dancing was playing all over the place. Great. I like that movie quite a bit. Yeah. Camelot was playing at the Plaza. Uh, at the David, at the David, which is an all-male cinema, was the Gay Furlough and uh, and Pleasure Cruise. Did you, I can say I haven't seen either one. Okay, gonna, but I used to go by the David all the time. I had a statue of David right next to the box office. Uh, on at the Lowe's State Two and the Lowe's Orpheum, a movie that I don't know a damn thing about. Uh, Paul Newman, Dominique Sanda, and James Mason. Do you know what movie that is? The Macintosh Man. Hertzberg again. That was Mr. not. Mr. Hertzberg. Wow, we. That's why he's the mayor of Fun City, man. That's, what that's can a, you tell us about the Macintosh the Man? The Macintosh Man is actually an early uh, writing credit for Walter Hill, as I recall. I think oh, it's. Right. I think it's a John. It's a John Huston film, right? Does it say it on there? Uh, it doesn't say in the ad, but I, I believe. You. I think it is. It's a. It's like an espionage movie. I caught it. I the Warner Brothers put it out in a Paul Newman box set like 15 years ago, and I remember watching it late at night and kind of, you know, dozing in and out. And I, I missed. And I was like, I ah, I don't know what the hell's going on here. And then I, and then, <laughs> and, you know, I have to rewind. I get up the next day and I go back to where I where I remembered the movie and then it just skipped around. It was like, wow, I'm awake and I still don't know what the hell's going on here. Like there's just like, <laughs> yeah, one of those movies where it felt like there was some important, uh, dialogue that was just cut. Uh, but, but Newman it's, it's, yeah. I like Newman. I'll watch him and you know, anything. So sure. At the DeMille, uh, on 47th street and seventh Avenue. Anyone ever see that theater? No. 
And also at the 34th Street East was a little number called Cleopatra Jones. Oh, that's a good one. Tamara Dobson. The Sound of Music was playing around town at that time. Um, also, starting the next day at flagship theaters, as they like to say, including the Albemarle and the Avalon. So whatever I said was playing at those two theaters was about to get kicked off. The Heartbreak Kid. Heartbreak Kid was about to make way for... Uh, here's the tagline for this movie. If you can ride Shaq's train and live, you'll be em- dot, dot, Emperor dot. of the North. Hertzberg. Boy, we got to have oh, Hertzberg on here more that often. Is a movie. Movie. That's a good movie. That's, that's a damn good that, movie. Yeah. I saw that not long ago. Really good movie. Great. Yeah. Holds up. At the Lincoln Art and the Lido East and a whole bunch of other theaters, The Devil and Miss Jones. All right. Which good movie? Kevin's Kevin Sanders. <laughs> Kevin Sanders. It's in its fifth sensational month, and Kevin Sanders from WABC TV says the most technically polished erotic movie. Bizarre, explicit, imaginative artistry. Hmm. How do you like them apples? You know, it got it got great reviews, like crazy great reviews. They always talk about Damiano being like a real serious director to that movie. Uh, on top of that, in a bigger ad, was the American premiere was starting today at the fine arts of Claude Berry's Le Sex Shop. Hmm. Anyone ever seen oh, yeah. I have Does, seen that. Is there yes. a Gainsbourg song on that soundtrack? Or uh, am I misremembering? How could there I not be? Know. How could there not yeah, be? Yeah, <laughs> it, it makes sense that there would be, know. yeah. But that was, a, that was one of those like really early VHS titles like before... Uh, where I would just find like you know like Betamax catalogs and that was always listed among them. I was like I gotta see them it's got some great pull quotes from a lot of different uh, critics a New York magazine says Claude Berry a French Woody Allen hilarious and um, Bernard Drew writing for Gannett News Service says one of the happier sites of the season Le Sex Shop has a lot of laughs this is the most wholesome X-rated movie I've ever seen Wait. <laughs> well, it's about like a middle-aged couple that are like, what are we going to do with ourselves? So they open a sex shop and it's, you know, this uh, embarrassed middle-aged couple dealing with that. All right. At the Cinerama, the RKO 86th Street Twin and the 59th Street Twin, Warren Oates, Ben Johnson, Michelle Phillips, and Cloris Leachman. In. Come on, Hertzberg. Damn Wait. it. Don't let us Oates, down now. Johnson. Michelle Phillips and Cloris Leachman. Action lovers will love it, says Bernard Drew, who also was the same guy who just said that the X-rated movie was wholesome. It's not. Uh, it's not no. Cockfighter. No, I, no. A movie I've there's never no, seen. There's no Michelle Phillips and Cockfighter. <laughs> oh I'm god, stumped. I wish there was. Uh, uh, Dillinger. Oh, ah. oh John Milius. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Underneath, he's above the title on that one too, isn't he? Uh, not in this ad, but I'm sure it's in, in some places he yeah. was. Um, it's a small ad, and an even smaller ad underneath that, playing at Cinema One. Uh, Jay Cox in, in Time Magazine says a transcendent movie, perhaps even a great one. Malcolm McDowell in Lindsay Anderson's Oh Lucky yeah. Man. That's a that's a that's a mm-hmm. challenging film. Yeah, I oh, tried to man. I tried to make it through If not too long ago, and even, I love If. Man. I mean, oh, I love oh, it, I but love also if. I was like, yeah. okay, let's get going already. But but oh lucky oh lucky man is is you know oh, there's lo- a lot there. Oh lucky there's man a was there. a double cassette that was long. It's long. Yeah. 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 It's oh it's yeah. insanely long. Yeah. And you know it's a musical. It, it's there's much yeah. going on. 
and worth worth making the the trek through it at least once. Yeah, they have three hours between each showtime at Cinema One. Yeah. Uh, but beneath that ad, uh, Marilyn Chambers uh, in Behind the Green Door, playing at the Orleans, the Austin, and Kipps Bay. Oh, they had Behind the Green Door. Did, was Kipps uh, Bay? Kipps, Bay. Kipps yeah. Bay used to be just a, a, a porno theater and then No, convert- they oh. would just, but no, it's like they reviewed Devil Miss Jones on WABC TV. <laughs> right, <laughs> it right, was just right. the time. It was the 70s. It was Fun well, City, man. The pull quote for Behind the Green Door is from Playboy. I've never seen Behind the Green Door, I don't think. Or maybe a little bit of it. Oh, I certainly have. Uh, Playboy said it was a sustained, strangely beautiful erotic fantasy with some of the holding power of hypnosis. I would Uh, say that's kind of true. And then underneath that, I don't know, maybe maybe this was its first run? I guess so, in 73? Uh, At the Coronet, Ryan O'Neill in a Peter Bogdanovich production, Paper Moon. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. 73. Was it 73? Right? Yeah. Okay. But this is August, so it probably opened earlier that year. At the Embassy 72nd and Broadway was Sleuth, also playing with uh, Gamma Rays. Oh, that's a good one. Gamma Rays. What is that movie? A Marigold? The Effect of Gamma Rays on Man in the Moon Marigolds. Yeah, it's listed in this small ad as Gamma Rays dash Marigolds. <laughs> that's a good movie. Uh, here we go at the Elgin Cinema, Buster Keaton and Seven Chances, The Pale Face, yeah. and Goodnight Nurse. Go. And then Friday was Pale the movie, Battling Butler, Neighbors, and The Playhouse. So yeah. maybe that's where they went to go see W.C. Fields. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Which uh, could have been anywhere. Hey, here we go. Uh, playing all over town, including at the Harbor, the Nostrand, the Ridgewood, and the Seaview in Brooklyn, was um, a movie that Rex Reed says... I recommend it as highly as I can recommend anything. And that's from your man, Rex Reed. Uh, three boy, three and a half stars from the Daily News for The Adventures of the Last American Hero. Oh. oh wow. They call, they call it The Adventures of the Last, like that full title? Wow. That's what it says in this ad. That might have yeah. just been an ad, like, a, like you know, private school mm-hmm. for girls. <laughs> yeah. That's Junior Jackson, the first, like, superstar NASCAR driver. Uh Great Jim Croce theme yeah, song. Yeah, great theme song. Yeah, I got a name comes from that that movie, which was which was then used in Django, right? Didn't they reuse it in Django? I don't because he likes to use he likes the anachronistic pop yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I interrupted anyway. you. You were no, that's okay. But I w- you were I'm going to share my I'm going to I'm going to share my screen with you guys so you can see some of these ads because I want I wanted to know. If um, you've got any uh, of the newspaper print ads uh, for Jeremy as part of your picture gallery, because here's one that I'm going to share with you. This was the this was the on the day it was opening. This was the only ad for really? Jeremy. In the wow. time. That's it. This is look. I'm gonna I'm gonna Sneaking watch. Right I'm gonna back there. up now so you can see this whole page. Wow. Look at this. Wow. Shit. You know what, this is what's crazy. weird is that it definitely had bigger ads later. I think it did well. I think it's I yeah. think it's uh, performance maybe surprised i think it was a little it was a sleeper and it started getting well bigger also in, oh, look at that. Yeah. in fairness though this is thursday so maybe they were saving their money right. for the Possibly. friday yeah. you know ad you know what yeah. just a observation interest you know when you went through all these movies what, what what was striking to me and you guys do this all the time so maybe it's not so much for you but this was not no a this week. is a wonderful day in movies yeah. but it wasn't but you, you know one thing i noticed though is there's a lack of there's none of the 
for lack of a better word, they, there's they, you don't have the easy riders, raging bulls. Like there's none of like the real stone, what we think of as classic titles right. uh, from from the era. There's no. Oh, it's August too, so you know but the dog it, days of August. It, at yeah, this it's point just surprising then. that there isn't a, a Coppola movie yeah. playing. And I bet you Jeremy opened the day before because they used to open on Wednesdays. That the makes Times sense. would sometimes yeah. not review till the next day, sure, and that then makes Friday, sense. and then you didn't say the Harrod experiment. <laughs> so that the I didn't I get that. to it yet. Well, I'm still working on stuff. Oh, so we got it. all right. Okay. Lady Ice, right here. Eroticus, the history of the gay movie. I know that movie. Oh, you did that one. I wasn't even going to talk about, but I'm glad that you brought it up. But I would say but, the but Paper Moon. Eroticus. Paper Moon yes. falls into that godlike classic category but other, for me. And, but one, one other interesting thing about yeah. Jeremy yeah. is it's only playing at one theater, and and I mm-hmm. feel like right. it kind of stayed. I was looking at the ads, um, you know, on here on the on the New York Times site, and I feel like it stayed that way for a while. Like it didn't open up to a bunch of different theaters um it stayed at this like flagship theater which is seems kind of fitting that it's on the uh, upper east side for this movie yeah yeah and, and, and the ad is just a picture of the two leads and the title and that's it yeah and it's and like i said it's a small movie and i'm i, I know that doesn't have a good connotation but i mean it in the best possible way like i love how sort right. of small it is it's small in all the right ways uh, Lady Ice. I've never seen this. Anyone seen this? Donald Sutherland and Jennifer Neal? No. Neil? no. I know it, it has, but it has like a, uh, I've seen the, the tagline, which they don't have on here. Is it's like, it's like that guy from Clute and that girl from Summer of 42. Or, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know that tagline. That's right. <laughs> I, I like that in yeah. this small ad, what they made sure to maintain was that it was filmed with Panavision equipment. It's such a weird, like, it was, it is, okay, that we, is weird. we're not going to say who directed it. We're not going to be able to say anything else, but we got to make sure we keep, they must have had a deal with Panavision or something. They weird. must have loaned them out that equipment for free as long as they stayed on every single ad. Oh, so, so here's Adventures. See how it's not really, it really does look like this is the title I, of this movie. Yeah. No, it's just a little, it it's just be, a little uh, it, it's possible, but you know, Emperor of the North was also yeah. called for a time Emperor of the North Pole. So it may be, hmm. yeah, they oh, might've been testing right. some different titles out. Sure. Cutter's, Cutter's Way was Cutter and Bone. Yeah. For a time. That's right. One of what's my favorite movie movies. Mo- what's Maury? I don't know Maury at all. It's the heartwarming story of Jack Twyman and Maurice Big Mo Stokes. I think I've heard of Big Mo Stokes, Mo Stokes, because I because my cousins lived in Cincinnati or near Cincinnati for a while. Oh, there you go. So they were into the into the into that. Uh, so that's Cincinnati Bernie, Bernie, Royals. Big Mo. That's Bernie Casey in there. Who's the other guy? He, I don't recognize him. Can't tell. Yeah, that's a good question. Don't know. He looks familiar, doesn't he? The other dude. Big Mo was also in uh, Eroticus. Oh. Okay, so here's the Harrod experiment. Uh, yes, here we go. This I love this ad where it's like three more days, and it, it just this is a weird placement of like where, what movie theaters it's showing at. Yeah. For now. And then six more days. They gave it an extra three days in Manhattan. Like the rest of the bur- <laughs> the rest of the boroughs in Westchester are like fuck this thing. But Manhattan was going to hold out for another three. And there's uh, we talked about Willie Ames before. There's Laurie Walters. Oh my gosh, Joni. Oh wow. wow. Now who's Next this to dude? Don uh, Johnson and uh, young Don. That's Johnson. Don Johnson. Oh, that's Don Johnson. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. It's co-stars Tippy Hendren. That's where he met uh, Melanie Griffiths. Melanie Griffiths. And that's it. Oh, no, wait. Look at this. Look. 
Look at all this crap yeah, before so we get to these cool. to one more little half yeah. thir uh, a third a quarter page of ads here, and this is very exciting to me. Look at that. That's a Don't movie I saw it. on TV it? many many times. Wow, many times. Now the here, but and the boy who cried werewolf, which I always thought was a that? TV movie. I did, I've never heard of it. What do you? That's mean? a four thirty movie staple. Really? Uh, somehow I, I thought how it was did a TV I miss movie. That? Yeah, yeah. I have no answer for you because I've seen a bunch. Uh, I'm looking at these Brooklyn theaters. Here's one that I don't think we've ever talked about before, yeah. the UA Messer roll. Well, yeah, we talk about oh, we it did. every week, oh, and we're we like, I've never heard of this. Is that, is that how, supposed how to be How great is it that I don't remember? No, but Messer roll, yeah. should that be 1S? Because there's a, you know, Messer roll street in Brooklyn, but only... Hmm. But I, only I don't know. Oh, well, that makes total sense, and I had no idea. Where like is in, uh, Williamsburg? It's in North North Brooklyn. Williamsburg. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, well, yeah, that's that's foreign to us growing up. Wait, look at this. What's this? Wow. Talk to me about loops. Look at this. What does this, this say? Is exactly, I don't know, a, but I a, like this. All right, I'm going to read this. A loop is a 16 millimeter pornographic film usually shown on machines which projects portions of the film for 25 cents. This is the story of some of the people who make loops. A fascinating, revealing, and inevitably erotic portrait. <laughs> How is it inevitably erotic? <laughs> a portrait of one of America's most shocking subcultures. Because they're fucking. <laughs> they're naked and fucking. And there's, there's a um, student discount for that, too. Yeah, I'll tell you who's good. You know who's going to know about this movie? Mr. Joe Rubin of Infinity. Uh, oh, yeah. He will have a lot of details. I'm sure right he, in his he probably has loops. the original elements, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, what about these two? Uh, I don't know. Lecture with Georgina Spelvin. That looks cool. Al Goldstein. Al Goldstein says. Al Goldstein says Ledger, yeah. a three-ring circus of flesh, the best of the breed when it comes to being a straight-down-the-line sex fantasy. Hmm. Yeah. And then what about hypnotized? I don't know hypnotized either. Wow. So come and be free. Tell me, this this was a goldmine. This this issue wow. with the New York Times. Oh, that's a good go. ad on the right there. Knights in black leather. Yeah. Knights in black leather. I don't know. It's at the Park Miller. Last Tango in the, Paris. That wasn't the first gay theater. It was that was like the high class one where Boys in the Stand played. Uh, um, and Last Tango in Paris Last Tango, was probably still going? what year did that come out? Last Tango in Paris, seventy two. Oh, okay, so it's playing for a solid year. Still going strong. Live and Let Die is interesting because we're going to be talking about Spy Who Loved Me on maybe possibly the next episode of 70 Movies We Saw in the 70s. But um, doing some research for that, I've been getting into the earlier um, Roger Moore Bond movies. And, I, you know, the one and we'll talk about Mark A with with Mark A. Altman, who's going to be our guest for the Bond uh, podcast um, about I didn't realize that Man with the Golden Gun had this bad reputation that people didn't like it and it wasn't successful and um, yeah I well, I yeah. love I, Man with the Golden Gun that's one of my favorite I, I, you know it's a, I like it as too as a kid I just had a convert I was just having a conversation about this with a friend of mine today he loves Live and Let Die and I said I could I could take or leave Live and Let Die I prefer Man with the Golden Gun yeah. Christopher Lee and, and Hervé Villachez. I mean, come it's Hertzberg, I'm with you. The like, Alice Cooper theme song they didn't use. Yeah. The I, one with and, Lulu instead. I mean, there's, there's two good things about Live and Let Die. One of them is um, the theme song, which is, you know, unbeatable. Yeah. And then the other one is that is what's his name? Clifton James is in it. Um, but he's also in Man with right. the Golden Gun. And, and Yafet Koto is in, um, is in 
Yeah, but but I feel like John Barry was like taking every other movie off, and uh, and I'm a mm-hmm. I am a <laughs> I am a kind of a move film score geek, and I I I so I I enjoy the like the the Barry ones, you know, the fact that I think Golden Gun has a Barry right. score. That's the pure I don't know if that's yeah. a purist view or what. But I but I think what I like about Man with the Golden Gun is what I kind of like about Jeremy is it's one of the smallest of James Bond movies. It isn't about like the end of the world. Mm-hmm. He isn't like fighting some army of sharks and shit. And the you know, it's 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 basically just him and uh, Christopher Lee. But it's, you know, it's and, also and got Irving. those great locations, right? It's kind of like more of a travelogue yeah, yeah. Bond movie, which I enjoy. It's like Thailand or something, isn't it? Yeah, and it's got that fantastic secret. Um, uh, office in that in that in that shipwreck, uh, you know he goes he, he like the, their whole queue and the whole oh, laboratory yeah. is in this in this in this boat that's like on its side like in a bay and it it's fantastic. Um, Man with the Golden Gun. Wish we were talking about that, but I love Spy Who Loved, Spy Who Loved Me was the first James Bond I ever saw in a theater. Anyway, I'm I'm jumping ahead to the next episode. This is great. Please, uh, Fun City Editions, you're doing tremendous work. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you, Vinegar Syndrome, for consistently amazing month in, month out, and then turning Black Friday into a whole other holiday with your secret releases. And um, thank you, Ben. Thank you, guys. Uh, Thank you, Mike. And thank you, John. It's always a pleasure to get to talk to you. I have a Too late to find out 
Of the hourglass. 